You are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. And uh, also, if you're in the theater and online, good morning to you. I hope you're awake and you've had your coffee. Uh, if you're still sleeping and you need to make a real quick exit for a donut and some coffee in the cafe, do it now because we're getting jumping into a new series today. And uh, you're going to need some energy this morning as we dive into this. And so, uh, if you happen to be brand new, my name is Joe, and I just want to say we're very, very glad that you're here. Uh, today. My wife Courtney and I will be hanging out in the lobby afterward today, and we would love to meet you uh, before you go. But we're kicking off a new teaching series today called Project Hope. And so uh, this is not something that's new. If you've been around Riverbend a while, you probably already know uh, that this is sort of some common language, a core part of who we are. So it's really more than a series. Uh, this teaching series is just going to take us back to this core uh, kind of thing that we focus on. So Project Hope. Now, back in July, here's what we did. We did a series called We Are Hope. And you maybe have seen the t-shirts that say We Are Hope on them. And as we looked at it, what that was was sort of a vision that has guided us over the last several months um, as we have worked uh, through it. So when I laid it out, it was really about a four to five month vision. It was a smaller window that led to larger pieces of this. But I wanna walk back through that before we go today, just to remind you where we were and where we are. The first thing we talked about was uh, mobilize. That was the first piece of this vision. Over the next four to five months, uh, 100% of those that call Riverbend home would engage in several things. And one of those was getting to know a neighbor that is not like you, getting to know a neighbor. Um, the second one was growing in a small group. The third one uh, was giving through serving in the church. And many people right now all across our campus are serving. Uh, that'll come into the 11 o'clock service after this. And so we've seen that. And then going through Project Hope, uh, as Pastor Ben talked about, you can already register for that. And then the last one is generosity to support the vision as we go. And so the second piece of it was maximize. And so maximize, and what we mean by that, our current facility, how can we take this and use it to the maximum ability? How can we get the most people minister to the most kids? How can we do this? And so um, you already see a lot of changes going on around our campus uh, we're giving more kids, to, uh, more space to our kids. In fact, we're going to give just about all of our on-campus space except this room to our kids. Uh, as we're giving up our office complex, our staff is going to be going to more of a shared environment because our kids have outgrown it. If you go back there in some of those classrooms, you're like, Lord, bless our River Kids workers because they're packed in there with the, you know, in some of the places. And so uh, we're able to give the, up our office complex in the next few months. You're going to see more work going. Um, but uh, the third thing was this, to multiply. And that really is all of what we've asked God to do. Multiply your church. Now, specifically, the thing that I wanted you to pray with us about was multi-site. Looking to the point of going, God, would you want to do this? Would you want us to launch into another community close by? And so uh, we, we would ask God to double it. Now, here's what I'd say. Riverbend, you have been incredible. God has been faithful over these last four months. So you've been committed and generous and weekly people have come to know Jesus, to find new life in him. And so just a, a few things. We don't often talk about specific numbers, uh, but I felt led this morning just to give you a tiny snapshot of just a few weeks 
in the life of Riverbend. Because when you just sit here, or maybe you watch online, you don't see all the things happening. Uh, two weeks ago, 31 people joined the church through membership class. A little different than how we used to do it, but 31. Some of you guys are probably in here, but 31 people said, I believe so much in Riverbend Church that I want to partner with this church. So 31 people. Last Sunday, six people went public with their faith, and that has happened on a monthly basis, people saying yes to Jesus. Uh, This entire fall season, we've had nearly 100 in our River Kids environment back there. So that's a lot of kids running around and a lot of donuts and a lot of fire, you know, juice power back there uh, in River Kids. If you saw their capes last week, yes, they're wide open. Uh, babies to fifth grade, there's about 100 kids there. Small groups have continued to grow. Uh, I'm a 100% guy. We're at about 70% of the people who attend Riverbend that are a part of small groups. So if you owe the three out of 10, I'm coming after you uh, for small group. Uh, financially, you have blessed us uh, to, to say yes to everything in our path. Your generosity to give on a weekly and monthly basis, it's blown us away. Uh, been able to say yes, and uh, our student ministry, um, which is, you know, I'm an old student pastor, so to see our 6th through 12th grade and even our college students, that group growing and growing and growing uh, over the course of the months has been crazy. The last four months has been one of the biggest growth trajectories they've seen. And so, and we continue to pray about where this location will be. We don't know yet. You're going, are you holding something back? No, I'm going to tell you. As soon as I know, we're going to go for it. We're going to pray over it. But just a snapshot of everything God is doing right now, isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that we get to be a part of this incredible work of the Lord? And so here's the danger. And the reason I tell you some of that, do you know what the danger is for where we are right now? I call it cruise control. Do you know that once you get healthy and once you start going, you know, man, we got people and God's good and it, the temptation is to press cruise control. But here's what I found out about me this week because I never really thought of it before. Did you know that I almost never use cruise control in my vehicle? You go, well, you're not very smart. Yeah, probably not. I probably would have saved me from a ticket or two in my life. But some of you are like me, like you actually like to drive the car. Like I'm not gonna get a Tesla, why? It's not because I'm anti-green or whatever. I wanna drive my car. I'm gonna drive my truck. It's just me, maybe it's wrong. It's me though, I like to. But what I learned is I'm not a cruise control guy. I'm a let's grab another gear guy. Anybody, people like that in the room? I'm gonna grab another gear. And so I told Pastor Ben that we were talking, it's, it's dangerous because sometimes you can hit cruise control. And I think the Lord is asking us to lean in even more to our community, to things going on around us. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna take you back to a question that I posed in July. And it's a question that I haven't been able to get it out of my mind because the Lord's been convicting me over it. And here it is. Am I willing to do anything short of sin to bring hope to my neighbors? And by hope, capital H hope, the hope of Jesus. Am I willing to do anything that it takes? So as a church, We will not sin against the Lord and calling it or excuse it. Well, we're just doing whatever it takes. We won't do that. That doesn't honor the Lord. But we will lay down our preferences, make changes, give more away, deal with our own attitudes and our own hurts at times and keep pressing forward to bring the hope of Jesus to our neighbors. And so the question I gotta start with before we talk about this invitation from Jesus today is, are you willing to do anything short of sin to bring hope to your neighbors? to fight for unity, to fight that people may find new life in him. So here's the beauty of it. Even if you're brand new to Riverman, you go, I've only been here a few weeks, pastor. Like I'm barely getting to know the place. 
You're just as in as people that have been here years. You don't have to hang around forever to be in. You can be in at the moment that you decide, I'll say yes to that question. I wanna be a part of this mission. I love it. I wanna be a part of it. And so how do you answer the question? Are you willing to do anything short of sin to bring hope? Here's what I wanna do. There's great purpose in answering that question and how you answer it. I wanna spend the rest of our time today on this invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples. And also, I believe the invitation that he lays out before us every day, that we decide if we'll hear from the Lord, this is a conversation I think God will have with you every single day. And so I wanna talk about this hope that we have first. When we talk about Project Hope, I can't talk about that without hope. You can't give away what you don't have. And so I wanna take you back to Hebrews chapter six. Here's what it says. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. And so Paul's right here. The first piece of this tells us how do we receive this hope of Christ? Well, flee to him for refuge. Another way to say, I ran away from my, my ways and I ran to Christ. I hid myself in him. I committed my life to him. I surrendered him. All those things mean I fled to him for refuge. So those who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. So hope is out in front of us. Hope is something that we should have confidence in. It says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Now here's what you gotta catch about that. This trustworthy anchor for our soul does not mean that our life will not be shaken. It means that no matter where life shakes you, that your soul will not be shaken. You are anchored internally. In fact, life may beat you up and kick you down and toss you around, but you will have, no matter what happens externally, you have an internal hope. That's what it says. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And so let me define hope for you based on this right here. Hope is this, I put this in your notes if you're taking notes. This is a confident expectation that the good thing God has promised us will actually happen. So when you say, I, I hope, as a believer, you're not just saying, well, I wish some good things or maybe I'll get lucky and something will happen, all right? You could use hope in another way, like, yeah, I hope I get lucky on whatever or I hope I'm blessed in this area of my life. But hope defined biblically is a confident expectation that the good thing God has promised will actually happen. We who have fled to him for refuge, we have confidence as we hold to hope that lies before. So it's promises that hasn't happened yet, but we have confidence in it. So when you say, I hope in Jesus, do you know what you're doing? You said, I have hope. You're saying this, I have confidence that my God has promised me some things written in his word, and I'm gonna live as though they're true. Even if I don't experience it right now, I'm gonna live as though they are true. And so when it comes to hope, we call our community Mission Project Hope. In fact, you'll see a little nook when you walk in out there. It has a sign. It says Project Hope. That's because we, we kind of stay focused on that. And you're going to see some things happening in there over the next few weeks. But we call that uh, a three days of hope that's coming up soon. We call that sort of our outreach arm of our church, the way that we stay focused on the community. But I want to distinguish some grammar to remind us that Project Hope actually could be used in two different ways grammatically. And here's the first one, Project Hope. That is our calling to build a better community in Jesus' name. One of our core values, community matters. We will always be looking externally and not just focus internally. We care for each other internally, but we're focused 
on looking out, God, what can we do to, to love people in your name, to bring hope to people? And so we believe that even if people that drive by this building, we, we're on a pretty busy highway here, supposedly according to the statistics, 60,000 people a week, uh, at least 60,000 people see our building every single week. We get that number from billboards. We rent billboards. So 60,000 people will see that billboard in a week that goes up. And so in some ways, our, bu- our building is a billboard as people ride by it. It's just a tool. It's not the church. It's only the church when the people step inside. You know that, right? When the people of God step inside, then it becomes a church. Other than that, it is a building, but it's a tool that God has given us to use. And so Project Hope, is us loving this community, no strings attached. We want people to know that even if you never choose to believe what I believe, I'm gonna love you anyway. We're gonna sacrificially give with no strings attached. We're gonna love with no strings attached. But there's another way of looking at this, distinguished from the grammar. Here it is, project hope. Say this with me, project. So when you see the sign, you've probably thought in your mind, that's project hope, right? If you're country boy, project, you gotta draw it out a little bit. Project hope, though, is actually when you take it personally. That's putting the hope of Jesus on display through your life. Putting the hope of Jesus on display through your life. Have you ever thought about yourself as a billboard? You go, no, I'll mess it up for you real quick. Every day that you go out of your house, you are a billboard for something. I mean, Georgia Bulldogs, go dogs, right? Some of you billboards this morning. I see my little dude right there. Go dogs out there. Some of your Tennessee fans and Louisiana fans. You know what? We'll, talk, we'll settle that when we get to heaven. But here's the thing. We, we are billboards for something on a regular basis in our world. Every time you go out of your house, you are a billboard for something. As a believer, do you know what we have to take into account? God has called us to put his hope on display every time we go out of the church. Every, every time we go out of our house and even in our homes. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5. He looked at his disciples. He said, you're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. You know what he's saying? You're like a billboard up on a big hill with lights at night. People can see it from miles around, this hope that you're projecting in your life. Now, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he chose a group of 12 men we know as apostles And you could even argue that he chose the most unlikely guys. He didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't go to the colleges. He didn't go to the the boardrooms where the CEOs were. He went down by the lake and to the tax collector. He went to places that none of us would choose leaders from. It was almost like as if to say, I'll take the people that the, the, the world thinks is least likely to change the world and I'll show you how powerful the gospel is. I'll change the world through these normal, everyday, average people. But at the beginning of his ministry, he chose 12 guys whom he discipled to project hope to the world. And this move of Jesus right here, what he said, you're a city on a hill, what he, what he was saying is not just generational. He said, you're like a city on a hilltop and it's gonna shine until I return. And so what I wanna do is look at this invitation because that's where it all started. Started with Jesus looking at these guys and giving them an invitation to join him. And it was a very personal invitation. So, I want to look at this today, Project Hope Invitation, Jesus offered to his disciples. Look at this. He says, one day, it says, one day Jesus was walking along the uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee. So if you ever needed like a, a verse to prove that God likes for you to go to the beach, there it is. 
Along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them, come too. Uh, They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So it's important to know that Jesus did not, uh, this wasn't the first time Jesus met these guys. If you you read uh, in the other gospel accounts, we know that they had already had introductions. They already knew a little bit about Jesus. They'd already spent a little bit of time together, but this was uh, in his day, a rabbi. It was very normal for a a teacher to reach out to students and say, do you wanna come do life with me and be my disciple? And so that wasn't uncommon, but Jesus walks down by the seashore and calls out to these guys who are there. It sounds like they've all just come in from a fishing trip or maybe they're getting ready to go out. Uh, Most likely coming in from a fishing trip here. Uh, Follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. And here's what I want to do is I'll walk through this, you know, if you've been listening to me teach at all, you know, my mind works weird. So when I walk through this, I start seeing things and I'm like, God, I don't even understand how I see this, but you're speaking to me on this. I want to show you in my time as I read through this passage, what the Lord showed me about the invitation. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus' invitation is to those who are already working. Not idle, not sitting around doing nothing, going, you know what, God? I wish you would call me to be a pastor. I wish you'd open the door for me, Lord. See, here's the thing. I heard somebody say the other day, I've been praying and praying and praying, but I didn't see God start working until I started praying on my feet. And go, that's pretty good right there. Sometimes, yeah, I mean, listen, and this is not me saying, get ahead of God or sin against God. I think more often we use getting ahead of God as our excuse for doing nothing. I don't wanna get ahead of God. I don't wanna move too fast. Why? This world's moving fast. We're moving at breakneck speed in our culture. So why shouldn't the gospel move as well? Not idle, but Jesus' invitation was to guys who just came in from a fishing trip or were sitting in the, they were working hard. There was a quote that changed my life years ago. I, wrote a, I read a book called Through the Gates of Splendor. And it, it's by Elizabeth Elliott. She's the, the wife of a missionary, Jim Elliott, that I've studied his life uh, to the Aka Indians. And so she said a quote, though, and, and it was about the book. It wasn't in the book. But she said a quote that changed me forever. And here's what she said. She said, you can't steer a parked car. She was speaking, I believe, to a group of college students who were trying to figure out what God wanted them to do with their life. And you know what she was getting at? If you're praying and you're headed in a holy direction, sometimes you just got to head in that direction and get the car rolling and guess what? The Lord that you serve is sovereign enough that if you're rolling in the wrong direction, he'll take the wheel and he'll turn it in the right direction. Just start rolling towards a good and holy direction. The Lord is powerful enough. And so the guys that Jesus was calling, they were out working, not putting out resumes and just sitting at home watching Netflix. Even if they were putting out resumes, they were also out fishing. They were doing something. And so let me give you some practical advice here. If you know God is calling you to ministry, do you know what you should do? Start doing ministry. That may lead you to school. That may lead you to who knows where, but just start doing it. If you're called to be an artist, 
start painting, start creating, start writing. If you're called to be a missionary, start serving people now right where you are. Don't wait on the mission field far away. By the way, the United States has become the mission field, by the way. What we used to have to go far away to see, it's right down the street from your house. You just may be overlooking it. If you're called to be a leader, start leading now by serving other people. Figure out how to be the best servant that you can. Here's the deal. You may have to fundraise in order to fulfill your calling. And what's that mean? Did you know God never promised you he's gonna pay you to do what, you get called, what you're called to do? You may actually have to fundraise. There's a guy, Bob Goff, some of you may have heard of him. That's his famous statement. He's a lawyer, but he actually is known as more of a ministry guy. But he says, I fundraise so that I can do what God's called me to do. And I love that. I kind of adapted that because for, for many years of my life, that's where I was too. Fundraising in order to fulfill the calling. See, here's what I'm saying. If God has a call on your life, start doing it. But that means that you may also have to do something else to make ends meet while you're also serving. Now, as you go and as you pray, God may begin to marry those two things together, but very rarely from day one does he show you how to do both And Usually you gotta go, God, I'm gonna chase you, and also I'm gonna have to do something else to make ends meet. Just start doing it. Just get up and start doing it right now. But Jesus calls two sets of brothers here, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and all already, I believe, he knew they had hearts for ministry. They may have been going, man, we wish we could be like Jesus and go do what Jesus does. But you know what they were doing? They were getting up and going out with their dads fishing to make a living. Wasn't a glorious job. They were fishing to do it. They were employed there. Now, here's what I did. I looked through scripture and I started thinking about stories. Did you know that I can take you to almost every single powerful man or woman of God in scripture whom God called and anointed their life and used them? Do you know where he found them? Working busy. King Saul, do you know what he was doing when he was anointed king? He was out searching for his father's donkeys that had gone missing. David was keeping his father's sheep. They had to send to the pasture to bring him in to anoint him. The shepherds that we talk about at Christmas, we're going to talk about in a few weeks, they were out guarding the flocks at night where everybody else is hanging out in town. Matthew is working at a tax collector's table when Jesus goes and knocks, hey, I want you to come follow me. Moses was out on the backside of the desert tending his father's sheep where he had this burning bush encounter with the Lord. He was working. Gideon, this mighty man of God you read about in the book of Judges who did miraculous things. You know what he was doing? He was threshing wheat inside of a wine press whenever the Lord came to him. Listen, if you'll just start doing something, God will often come right to where you are. Do you know what I was doing up till 2008? I thought about this as I read it. I was sanding hardwood floors and doing construction. And literally in 2008, I was actually hauling trash down the beach in Galveston, Texas. I'd gone out to kind of to, to seek out maybe a possible new business venture after Hurricane Ike hit. Uh, we wanted to help and two, there was opportunity. So I flew out and I spent about a month out there. And during that month, I too was on the beach whenever the Lord solidified my call. Now this was a dirty beach, uh, it was destroyed in devastation and I was there, but the Lord met me on the beach too and called me when I got back home. I looked at my dad and I said, dad, I know God's called me and he agreed, he'd been seeing the Lord working in me and I went full-time vocational ministry. But for, t for about seven years of our marriage, I worked full-time in construction and we were passionate about doing the work of the Lord, especially next generation ministry. That's where we started. 
And so he found them on the beach and here's what Jesus did. He called out to them, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. So notice the invitation here. Jesus comes and he says, hey guys, you're gonna have to get out of the boat and come follow me. And so again, one of my weird thoughts as I'm reading this, you know what the Lord spoke to me? This invitation requires shoes. Requires shoes. See, Jesus doesn't often tell you where you're gonna go and all the details of it. You don't know where your calling will lead you, but here's what you have to wrestle with. Am I gonna put my shoes on and follow him? Every single day, you put some sort of shoes on before you go out of your house, right? You decide, it may be one of the last things you do. If you're like Courtney, you change them like 17 times before you go out of the house, and that's another story. But you put some sort of shoes on before you go outside the house every day, and usually they're appropriate for where you're going. And you may not know everything, those feet, everywhere your feet's gonna step that day, but you just put your shoes on and you got out the door. See, shoes, you know what they represent? The intentional act of obedience. God, wherever you put, I'm gonna put my shoes on and as I do, today I'm gonna be obedient to. Do you know what the last thing you do every day before you go out, if it's put your shoes on, you could say, you know what? These are not just shoes, these are hope shoes. I'm about to put hope in these shoes and go out and be a light like a city on a hill. You ever thought about that? Everywhere your foot steps, God is stepping if you're a follower of Jesus. Everywhere that shoe is gonna take you that day. You know what this can do for you? If you're bored in your job and frustrated because God's not moving things fast enough and you feel stuck, wake up and decide that those shoes are your hope shoes. As I put these on, I'm putting hope into them. And what'll happen is God may not change your circumstances, but he'll change your perspective. You'll start stepping differently going, oh God, you have me here. You've located me in this job that I feel sort of stuck in. I wish I could do something else, but I know I'm, I'm supposed to be here right now. And so God, I'm just gonna be hope. But listen, it requires Jesus. Cause here's the thing, you have to have shoes on to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus actually follow Jesus though. How many times do we miss the power of God because we claim to follow Jesus, but when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me in this area of your life, we hold back. So Lord, I pray this week, I prayed this week over you, I prayed over myself that God would help me put my shoes on and go out and be hope. Get my attitude right. That's that last chance before you walk out of your house for you putting your boots on to go, you know what, God, I need you to get my attitude right. You ever had just a hard morning at home? How many of you ever went through that? Just a hard morning with you, with the kids. By the time you got home that night, you didn't even know if you're gonna have a family. You ever had just one of those days before? We way too holy admit that on Sunday morning. You ever have a tough day? You know what you can do though, just let it be a reminder from this point forward. No matter how hard it was, I'm about to put these shoes on and go be hope to somebody. I'm actually gonna get out of the boat, out of the house, follow Jesus. Here's the third step or the third part of this invitation, that Jesus' invitation, it provides OJT, on-the-job training. Did you notice he didn't say, now I want you to pack up and go away to school for 10 years and then come meet me on the beach. And this is not me being against education in any kind of way. Jesus gave them education, but sometimes we use excuses instead of just following. But Jesus took away all excuses. He said, I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. There's an old saying my pastor used to say, or it was actually a missionary, uh, Roger Mullins, who came to my church when I was a kid, and I, I revere him. He's still 
alive and he's an older, older man today, but God used this guy. Every year they would come through, maybe a couple times a year, but he ran orphanages in Albania and just a man of integrity and a man of honor and a man who committed his whole life to the gospel. And he used to say something. He says, you know, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called. And a lot of people have used that over the years, but we're talking back in the 80s. I was a little boy and I remember him saying that and then explaining it. See, it's possible that you won't even know what God has gifted you for until you put your shoes on and try something. But once you try it, see, some people in here know what I'm saying. You've gotten a taste of it. You stepped out on faith and you did something. And once you get a taste of it, there's a fire that lights in your heart. And you go, God, I wanna do more of this now. I'm, I'm ready to do this. Lord. I didn't even think I could speak. I didn't think I could teach. I didn't think I could do whatever it is that's before. But Lord, as I stepped out, you gave me what I needed and you begin to teach me how to do it. In following Jesus, he will always give you the on-the-job training you need. That may lead you to a bunch of places. But if you follow, it'll take you. Jesus said this, I will teach you how to fish for people. I'll make you become fishers of men. I'll make you. He took passion and skill set that these guys already had. You know what he did? He transformed it into something they could use for the kingdom. As I looked at this invitation, here's the, the fourth thing I noticed, that Jesus connects our greatest passion with eternal purpose at his invitation to Project Hope. For these guys that were fishermen, maybe they were burned out on fishing, but there was probably a chance since they'd grown up in it that there was probably a love for the outdoors and a love for being on the water deep inside of them. Now, they may not have wanted to do it every day and be cold and be wet and be nasty, but then again, they may have actually loved it. They may have had an enjoyment in them about uh, when it came to fishing. What Jesus did is he married the passion and the skill set already inside of them. He married that to their eternal purpose. He said, you, you're a fisherman now. You know how to catch fish. If you'll come follow me, I'll take that natural skill set that you have and that passion you have to go find the fish, locate them. And back then it wasn't as much of a line as it was a net, but drop a net on the fish. I will show you how to do that for the kingdom's sake. See, as a pastor, I see a lot of people who search for purpose outside of Christ. And you just wanna, you just wanna grab them by the shoulders and go, you can't find it. But I try to be really nice and I pray with them. And I go, I just want him to, if you'll just surrender to Jesus, that's the first step to finding your true kingdom purpose. But you have to be nice and go, I hear you. Let me pray for you. But really what you want to say is you can't find your eternal purpose, the thing you were created for until you first submit to the Lord. And here's what he'll do in that submission to say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. He'll take your greatest passion and he will marry it to your eternal purpose. So sometimes I see people when, they, when they're searching for purpose, they jump from, uh, they kind of jump from job to job to job to job, trying to find the next thing. Or they jump from relationship to relationship, even marriage to marriage to marriage, thinking, well, uh, you know, if I can just find the next one, then it'll be great. House to house to house. We see this lately. It's a good time to sell, hard time to buy, right? Friend group to friend group to friend group, usually painting a picture of a great life in their feed, but inside, often, if you don't know what your purpose is and you hadn't found any greater purpose that's bigger than you, you feel purposeless. And here's the thing, Jesus designed you. He called you masterpiece. And he made you for a specific good purpose. And here's what I truly believe. I've watched this over my years. God has wired a passion and a skill set into you 
whether you fully developed it or not, that will also marry with your kingdom purpose, your eternal purpose. Those two things will go together somehow. Sometimes you paint the picture of like, well, that's only for preachers. Like if you're passionate about preaching the word of God and you're called to lead uh, and, and, and be a pastor in the church, there's only a few of those though. There are a lot of business people. There are a lot of people that are entrepreneurs. There are a lot of leaders in our community. There are a lot of leaders of homes. There's thousands in our community and hundreds even inside of Riverman Church. And so it takes faith and courage to follow him though and let him do the connecting. It takes weeks or months or years sometimes to get to that point where that passion and that, that purpose connects and you go, I finally found what I was created for. You know what sometimes it'll do, it'll encourage you to do? We don't do this often. We get most of our information scrolling. I'm not saying that's all bad. You can, find, you, can, you can find a lot of stuff. Do you know what'll change your life though? Find a person who's 20 or 30 years ahead of you and get on their calendar to take, to, can I take you for coffee, for lunch? Can I just have a phone conversation with you? Somebody that you see, you know what? They're kind of where I would love to be one day. Find, don't, don't find somebody two or three years ahead of you. You can learn from them. Find somebody 20 or 30 years who's willing to tell you the truth about how hard it was to be successful in the Lord, how hard it was to find this passion and this eternal purpose and bring them together and listen to what they have to say. God may just give you the encouragement to keep going. Jesus called James and John, and it's a little bit different. It says that uh, Peter and Andrew left their boat and they came. But look at this. Immediately they followed him, leaving who? The boat and their father. They left the boat, they left their nets, they left their livelihood for that season, they left their father. And you know what? Maybe the expectation for these guys was that they were gonna run the family business one day. You ever just read right over and sanitize things in the Bible like, oh, it was easy. I put myself in Zebedee's shoes, that's their dad. He's sitting in the boat looking out as his kids go, See you, Dad. We're going to follow Jesus. I know you know you probably had these plans of making an easier life on you because we're going to take over the fishing business, but we're going to follow Rabbi Jesus, this new teacher that we feel very called to, to, to go follow. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. This is the hardest one to, to stomach, honestly. The invitation to project hope means letting go. I told you a little bit about my calling from the flooring and construction business into ministry. But did you know in 2008, my dad, I have so much respect for him because it took me some years to look back and go, my dad was Zebedee in the story. My dad invested in me and made life easy for me. I got to step, I got to step onto his shoulders, a business that he'd built since I was a little kid and reap the benefit of all the days where he wasn't making any money where he was doing the grunt work of building a business. He let me step right in on his shoulders and start doing really well as a 22, 23-year-old young man. And I'm, I won't say I didn't appreciate it, I did. But you know, in 2008, when I looked at my dad and said, Dad, I know God's called me to ministry and I'm gonna be stepping out of this. He supported me and he smiled. And I said, you know, maybe that was Zebedee. He was proud of his kids. You know what? It is gonna be hard without you here on the boat but it's really cool to see you moving towards Jesus. And they didn't have an understanding of Jesus like we do now completely, but I think he knew, you know what? God's all over this. God has this anointing and calling on their lives. And so my dad, in a lot of ways, after pouring 10 years into me thinking I was gonna run the business, he let me go and not only let me go, supported me. See, maybe the fear 
the only thing holding you back from stepping into projecting hope for the Lord is the fear of what you'll have to let go of. We have people that will show up every week on, on campus and, and watch online, and I know because I was one of these for years, you're so scared of what you gotta let go of that you won't say yes to the Lord. You have to let go of some things to say yes. You have to ha- say no to something in order to say yes. Now, you may be the only one standing in the way sometimes of a friend or a child's calling. And so listen, parents, you gotta love your kids. You gotta be their greatest uh, encourager. You also have to be the truth teller and the disciplinary. You have to be all the above in their lives, but there's gonna come a day in time where you have to let go. Your day is done. You will stunt their growth if at some point you don't trust the Lord with your kids, especially your grown kids. Let them go. Pray and trust God. You know, we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. And at some point, you have to let them go. That's why it's important that you do what matters right now. You keep putting it off, putting it off. No, right now, the urgency is one day in just a few years, I'm gonna let them go and they're gonna be whoever it is that they decide to be. And so... Letting go is difficult. But listening to this amazing promise that that the Lord spoke to my heart. Jesus said, I assure you, everyone who's given up house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. So Jesus kind of throws that in there. He says, anything you give up because you're chasing my calling, and this is not a disobedient act, this is not a sinful act, but there will come a time where you have to say, I've gotta let go of some things in order to pursue the calling God has, but he throws this in there. In this world, you're gonna receive 100 times, but it's also gonna have persecution with it. But in the world to come, the new world, we just talked about it, when Jesus remakes this place and we move into our new home, he says, I'm gonna give you 100 times what you gave up. And by gave up, I mean sacrifice. So I was gonna move straight to the ending and Thursday when I preached this message for the staff, I think it was Ben. Ben was like, man, you can't skip this part. I told them something. I said, I'm not gonna say that though. And they said, no, you need to say it. Because I don't wanna make it about me and I also don't want you to think, oh, he's this holy guy that's so much better than everybody else in the world. But in 2010, I was faced with this very thing. I had all four of my grandparents alive and we lived in a family compound. I mean, we were close by, you know, dinners and, and we're going over to mom's on Sunday afternoons. And do you know, God called me in 2010 to pack my stuff up and move to a new city. And I knew that call was there. But you know what the Lord showed me? The Lord showed me in those months, those, those, it was January, February, March, we were praying about it. We moved in, I think, July, but I began to pray about, like, God, you, you really want us to go here. It was sure. I met a guy in an airport, random meeting. God led to there, but led to, uh, to, to Augusta. But the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you're probably not gonna see your grandparents much before you do their funerals. And you go, that's not a nice thing for God to say, but it was, it was a reckoning for me. I felt so strongly called and I'd had all that time with my grandparents, but I knew that I was only gonna, probably Lord willing, only gonna see them a handful of times because of the calling God had on my life. And I wrestled, y'all. I wish I could tell you, I was just so obedient. Maybe some of those months, it took months to make this transition. 
Some of it was me going, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I love my family. I love the time God's given me. And guess what? Over the next three years, I would do three of their funerals, not getting to see them very much. And one day the Lord spoke this verse to me and he was like, do you believe me or not? I mean, you, you trust me to deliver your soul from hell. Will you, will you trust me? that I've already given you a great good life, but there are other people that need hope and I'm gonna have to send you somewhere else to fulfill my plan. Will you trust me? You trust me with your soul. Will you trust me with the rest of the life that I've given you? And he brought me to this and it was like the Lord just let it, you know, you ever been reading the Bible and something just came and just hit you so hard and I read it and it was like he said, I'll give you a hundred times in eternity. So one of the brighter moments of my life was saying, all right, Lord, let's go. So me and Courtney and our boys, we packed the U-Haul and my family loved on us and they sent us out. And here's what I'm claiming. In Jesus' name, there's nothing that I have given up in this world that he's not gonna give me a hundred times, a hundredfold. And so I just wanna stand in the gap and say, listen, don't hold back on the Lord. Our life is short, but our eternity is forever. We want to take as many people with us as we can. We want heaven to get bigger and we want earth to get better in the process. But here's what we ultimately know. This earth's going to end badly one day before the Lord remakes it, before his return. There's nothing that you will let go of that God won't give you a hundred times over again. That's his word. You got to decide if you believe it or not. It may not be family. It may be something else. There is nothing, according to scripture, if God's leading you in a direction, there's nothing you let go of that God won't give you a hundred times more. Now, let me end here with our passion. Bottom line, your greatest passion and your eternal purpose, you know what happens? They intersect at where you project hope to people. you to ponder that for a moment. Have you ever accepted that invitation of Jesus to put on your shoes and follow him, to project hope? Sometimes we just get beaten down on the path. Thinking back through the last couple of years, it's
messages. And so the question is, have you truly received it? And if so, who is it in your path this week needs the hope of Christ to shine in the like a city? So here's my prayer. Accept his invitation. Whether you're surrendering to him for the first time or whether you know God's is listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.